One of the most hopeful passages in the New Testament is Hebrews 13, 8, where the writer makes this bold affirmation. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's a powerful promise about the character and work of Christ, and it's hopeful because it means Jesus has something to say about your past, your present, and your future. In our past, only the hope of Christ can heal our past experiences. Through the blood of the cross, the power of his resurrection, the glory of his ascension, Jesus proved he could bring forgiveness to our sin, grace to our shame, and wholeness to our brokenness. We, we become enveloped by his divine love, and that love changes us. Only the hope of Christ can heal our past experiences. And more than that, because he lives in us now through the Holy Spirit, for all the things that we might face today or in the near future, the hope of Christ can handle our present enemies. Our problems are not bigger than our God. Whatever the world throws at us, we can face it because of the indwelling presence of Christ in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. All of God's resources are at work in us, and the presence of the Spirit helps us to face the challenges of each and every day. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, Philippians 4.13. And for our future, because we will all face that last enemy of death, the hope of Christ holds out the promise of eternity. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus promised his disciples in John 14. Death is not the last word for the believer. There is hope beyond this life. Jesus' resurrection from the dead proved that his words were true. He has gone ahead of us, and he will bring us to himself for all eternity. So just as we can have confidence in forgiven sin in the past, and just as we lean on his strength for the present, we can trust in him as well for our eternal future. The hope of Christ can heal our past experiences, handle our present enemies, and it holds out the promise of eternity. Friends, that's a message worth sharing. And that's the goal of our message series called Sharing Hope. We're looking at this little book by Michael Frost called Surprise the World. We're encouraging everyone to go online, purchase a copy, read it individually or in a small group, and really wrestle with the call of Christ to all his followers to go and make disciples by sharing the hope of Jesus. You see, that's our mission. That's what we're here for. That's why once you become a Christian, God doesn't just, you know, take you straight up to heaven. We're here to announce the kingdom of God, to announce the reign of King Jesus has broken into this dark and disturbed domain. The goodness of God is here, and we're his messengers. Now, sometimes, Christians, we forget that. We forget that we have a mission. We get caught up in ourselves just getting through the week. We're happy to know Christ and happy to know our sins are forgiven, but faith sometimes never goes much beyond that. And that's kind of a self-centered faith, almost a what's-in-it-for-me mentality that really misses the heart of Jesus, misses the essential Jesus, who always had his eye on that next person, always wanted to propel his disciples out to live their faith in the world, sharing the hope of Christ with others. Now, last week we looked at how some people are specially gifted to share the hope of Jesus in a more public and, and bold way, and we call those people evangelists. For them, it's a little easier to talk about Jesus in the public arena, and as we said, that's not who most of us are. Most of us are not comfortable sharing our faith like that. Most of us are not called or gifted to be evangelists, and some are. We're supposed to pray for them, support them financially, but most of us are not gifted that way. So for the rest of us, we are called 
to live in such a way so that our lifestyle invites questions. That the way that we treat people, how we spend our time and our money and our energy, it invites questions. Our faith sharing then is more personal. It's more one-to-one, conversational, not confrontational. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Most of us need some help in figuring out how to do that in a sensitive and caring way. That's what the book Surprise the World is all about. It is a guilt-free, non-embarrassing way to share the hope of Christ. Surprise the world by the way you live, and people will ask questions. The subtitle of the book reads like this, The Five Habits of Highly Missional People. And he writes about these five habits that can help ordinary Christians become better equipped to surprise the world with the hope of Jesus. Habits. We needed to develop some new habits. A habit is something you do repeatedly. A habit, habitual practice kind of shapes who you are. As Michael Frost talks about in one of his videos, churches already promote all kinds of habits to help you become more like Jesus. Uh, generally, we would expect you to attend worship. That's a basic, repetitive, habitual behavior that helps you grow closer to Christ. It's a worship habit. Christians who have given up that habit, who don't go to worship regularly, I can tell you they're just probably not going to grow closer to God. That's just a basic biblical truth. If you're not habitually worshiping, you're probably declining. The habit deepens the relationship. Other habits churches promote would be personal Bible study and prayer, being in a small group, you know, something that meets regularly, uh, weekly, or every other week or monthly, something that fosters the habit of sharing life together. Most churches expect members to give financially, to tithe, to develop as a regular habit giving, not as an afterthought. If you're a believer, you should contribute financially to the life of the church on a regular basis. We should do all of these things. But then Frost asked this question, how many of our regularly expected habits are missional? How many of our regular, habitual, spiritual lifestyle practices actually propel you outwards to the world to alert others to the reign of God? Most of our Christian habits bind us to each other, and that's good. Bind us to God through Bible study and prayer, worship, and steward, that's all good. These habits are all good, but what is going to move us outward? What will help us to be on mission for God? Even the folks who go beyond the minimum, who maybe volunteer in a ministry, most of our ministries are actually focused in on us. We take care of our kids and our teens and ourselves. Most of our church habits do not propel us out. So we need to consider a new set of habits that help push us outward into the community to alert others to the reign of God. The future belongs to churches that develop at the very core of church life a set of habits that help us to connect with God, bind us to each other, and propel us outwards as sent ones into the world where God has placed us. We need some new habits. To get us thinking about our habits, let me quickly read two passages. Uh, and like in your high school English class, I want you to compare and contrast the two stories. Their similarities, their differences. The first is uh, from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, where the man is by the pool of Bethesda. And the common superstition was that occasionally an angel's wings would stir the water in the pool. And if you were the first to get into the water, uh, you'd be healed of whatever ailment that afflicted you. Verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. 
Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is, supposed, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. The one who was there, who had been an invalid for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I do not have, uh, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in, goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The second passage is from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. It's very early in the life of the church in Jerusalem, just following Jesus' resurrection. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. These two men had something very much in common. They were both well-known in their community because of their habits, their habits, their habitual way of living. They were familiar figures. Everybody saw them. Every day they went to the exact same spot and did the exact same thing. 38 years for the man at the pool of Bethesda. You'd think 30, by that time he'd have figured out how to get into the water first. Or he would have figured out that this just was a superstition and he was wasting his time. Regardless, somehow he got to that same spot every day. And he did the same thing every day for 38 years. Friends, that is a habit. The other guy, same thing, lame since birth. Presumably now an adult, panhandling every day at the same gate to the temple, the gate called Beautiful. He had his spot all picked out. And why did he beg? Well, there's no Medicare, no Medicaid, no welfare in the ancient world. He needed money to survive. We're told others participated in his habits. He was carried to his spot every day by other people. They were habitual in their behavior in helping him. But for both men, it was just a rut they had fallen into. The man at the pool of Bethesda, it's possible that he went there sincerely expecting God to do something, that there was some little nugget of faith uh, seeking a life change from God. It's possible. But Jesus' question, do you want to get well, kind of indicates that he had lost his confidence in the miracles of God. But the man was still there. He was showing up. The other man, the beggar, he was just trying to maintain his life, just trying to keep body and soul together. But for both of them, it was a deep rut that they had fallen into. Have you ever felt like that? That your life was just in a rut that you've fallen into, a habitual life, but the habits are not bringing you the joy or meaning or satisfaction you're looking for? After so many years, it was just the way they lived. But God disrupts their habits, gives them the opportunity to live life 
in a new way. Through Jesus, and then through the faith of Peter and John in Jesus, he breaks into this habitual way of living, breaks into their routine, offers them a new beginning. Is it possible for Jesus to break us out of our habits? The ones that are not contributing to our spiritual health and to the spread of the gospel. Would we even be open to that kind of disruption? Would we even be open to Christ disrupting our carefully constructed routine? Is it possible for us even to consider that we may need to foster a different kind of lifestyle that will get us thinking about what the mission of God looks like? Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at five simple habits, five habits that by living them, they'll bind us to each other in the body of Christ, bind us to God, but also propel us outward into the community. Five habits that will set us free to connect more deeply with God, more profoundly with others in the church, but also propel us outward to the world that so desperately needs the hope of Jesus and the reign of God. Let's think just a little bit about our current habits, our current rhythms. What is it that you currently do that's a reflection of your faith in Christ? What is it that you regularly do because of what you believe? How is your weekly schedule shaped or influenced by your faith? You might already be doing the habits I talked about earlier, worship, prayer, Bible study. You might already be volunteering in a ministry, but is any of it missional? Is any of what you do something that those who are non-Christians might find as intriguing or surprising? Or as it's been said, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? The philosopher Aristotle once said, we are what we repeatedly do. We are what we do. Not what we say we're going to do, not what we promise we're going to do, not what we think we're going to do in the future. We are what we repeatedly do. That's why developing good habits is so important. No matter what area of expertise you pursue, the only way to get better is by developing a new habit. Without fail, successful people in any area of life have learned to develop habits that enhance their success, change their daily routines, things that they do day in and day out without fail that help shape their life. Kind of comically, uh, President John Quincy Adams used to skinny dip in the Potomac River every single morning, always trying to see how long he could swim without touching the, bot the bottom. He got up to 80 minutes before his wife told him to stop. Author Stephen King, he writes every single day of the year without exception, beginning his work at 8 o'clock. He sits at the same seat with his desk arranged in the same way with a daily writing quota of about 2,000 words and almost never allows himself to quit until he's reached his goal. Mark Zuckerberg, Harvard dropout and founder of Facebook, he's well known for almost always wearing the same kind of plain t-shirt. He said in an interview in 2014 that wearing just the same clothes every day just allows him to, to be able to make uh, better decisions. He, doesn't, he has fewer decisions that way. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find any successful person who doesn't have some kind of a relatively scheduled uh, daily routine. It may seem like a simple concept, and that's because it is. We're doing the same thing day after day, but when it comes to choosing behaviors and the structure of the day and then actually implementing them and sticking with them, that's sometimes a really tough thing to do. Let's say your normal eating habit is to consume 6,000 calories per day, but your cardiologist just gives you that wake-up call, says time for a new habit, it's kale instead of Krispy Kremes. 
you have to develop new eating habits. But as we all know, changing our habits is a very difficult thing. A habit is simply a behavior that has become repeated so regularly that it has become automatic. You don't even have to think about it. Most of our habits that we have, we don't even remember how they got to be habits. According to researchers at Duke University, habits account for about 40% of our behaviors on every given day. Brushing your teeth, making coffee, even how you drive your car to work in the morning. You ever zone out while driving and then you realize that you've actually just been driving on autopilot? That's a habit. Habitual routines provide structure for our day, eliminate a lot of the stress that would be required to plan ahead. In general, habits have a, have a three-part loop. There's a cue, a behavior, and some kind of reward. The cue or trigger is what tells your brain to automate the behavior of the habit. and That's in reinforced and repeated uh, by the brain because for some reason the brain likes this particular sequence of events and somehow experiences a reward for it. So as difficult as they can be to develop, habits are effective and are worth taking the time and energy to form. And that's true in faith, just as it is in any area of life. Exercise, diet, so on. By adding in just a couple of core rituals, we can build missional habits that eventually become our normal lifestyle. The amazing thing is that this is how God designed us to operate. There have been great discoveries made about the way the brain works and the way the brain behaves. Neurologists can actually scan in and see what is happening in the brain while it's happening. They can look inside the brain at the connecting points, the synapses, and they can see how the brain reacts to stimuli. They can see the chemical reactions taking place when the dopamine is being released, and that's what, that's what makes us feel good, what brings enjoyment. And the route along the synapses, along these neural pathways, they actually get thicker with practice. So like the more you practice kicking a football, the thicker that particular route becomes, and the brain will always follow that same route. What's hard at first becomes easier then with repetition. And soon you'll be able to use the skill you've developed without even thinking about it. Learning to type, play a musical instrument, learning a martial art or a sport, all require these repetitive behaviors. Neurologists can actually see the habit forming in the brain because of repeated behavior. Knowing the way the brain works also has given us a lot of insight into addictive behavior as the mind follows uh, familiar tracks as the addiction develops. So what are our habits? What are our missional habits? What do we uh, do really is evidence of what we believe. James 2.18 talks about the connection between faith and works and action. Faith in what we do. James says, I'll show you my faith by my deeds. And then he goes on to say, faith without deeds is dead. We're not saved by works or by our deeds. We don't earn our salvation, but a saved person's life should be different. There should be some evidence in how a Christian lives. And to all the New Testament writers, salvation means you will live differently. Your works, your good deeds will reveal that you've met with Jesus. That there's a link between your inner spirituality and your outer actions, always. That's the evidence of our faith. That's what Paul describes as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. Well known to many. And he describes behaviors that are evidence that you do not know Christ in that same chapter, verse 19. Sexual immorality, uh, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. Lots of other things. 
Paul says, these are not of the kingdom of God. Those are habits that are of the unconverted life. Uh, so one way or another, your true self will be expressed by certain characteristics or habits or patterns of behavior, either of those who have met with Jesus or of those who have not really met him at all. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you've been with me, you're called to obey what I've said. And then he promises the help of the Holy Spirit along with it. Devotion to kingdom and his rule is evidence that we have put our trust in him. If there's no evidence, then you really have to ask yourself, is my faith real? What if, what if believing in the power of the Holy Spirit, we choose to pursue godly habits that will help us fulfill our mission for Christ? The more we do that, the more those neural pathways are going to be strengthened. So we're going to have to talk about what the habits of our culture are and where the habits of faith differ from the habits around us. And what habits do we want to create that will help us to be more missional? What neural pathways do we want to develop as followers of Jesus? What new habits could put uh, us more on mission for Christ? What new habits could bring glory to Jesus and would positively display his life in us? Habits that could open a door for the gospel for others. Michael Frost quotes theologian, theologian David Bosch when he says, Mission is more than and different from recruitment to our brand of religion. It is alerting people to the reign of God through Christ. So our mission, it's not primarily concerned with church growth. It's not primarily concerned with getting new members. It's not primarily concerned with the church budget. It's primarily concerned with the, rune, the, the, the rule and the reign of the triune God. So the next five weeks, we'll be looking at five habits that can display the reign of God and the rule of Christ in our world. Five habits that can draw us out into the lives of people who maybe don't know Christ. Five habits that are both missional and consequential. In other words, they can make a real difference. Habits for a regular, ordinary life, but one that will draw us closer to Christ, bind us more to each other as believers, and help us to positively engage with those outside the church. Five new habits. I can feel the dopamine rush already. Amen. And now, to conclude, we're going to watch a short video about what it might look like if we took our mission seriously. <laughs> 